Well, a fine morning. Hopefully, our time in the Word uh, will be a good punctuation point to what we've just been able to do in worshiping God. Kids, it's your turn to head to class. So if you're heading to Children's Church, uh, appreciate you guys, uh, Charlie and uh, Debbie and Patsy and all of your work in taking care of the kids and uh, love being part of that. Um, I am looking forward to being able to preach today, and obviously I don't get a chance to do that as much as uh, Pastor Steve, but I love the opportunities that I get. Uh, they're a lot of work, though, and, uh, and so I've been working hard this week to try to, um, to, try to share uh, something uh, that will encourage and help you, and we're going to be in the book of Galatians today. Pastor Steve's been preaching through Mark. We're going to be in the book of Galatians talking about freedom. And uh, people all around the world love freedom, but I think Americans especially love freedom. It's part of our national identity. It's the fabric of who we are. And in 1765, the Sons of Liberty was founded by a Boston patriot named Samuel Adams. It was an underground organization at first, and, uh, and as, they, um, as they got going, they were really... Uh, worked up about the tax that England imposed on all colonists. It was called the Stamp Act of 1765 and required them to pay tax on every printed piece of paper that was out there. Uh, ships documents, legal documents, uh, licenses, newspapers, uh, even playing cards were taxed. And, uh, and so Samuel Adams and his followers were fired up about this, and they had a motto or phrase that they repeated often, no taxation without representation. That's right, okay? So at this point in time, there's just an underground operation, and they, um, they're not yet known as the Sons of Liberty. Uh, they've got that name much the same way that Christians got their name. They were ridiculed, okay? So here's how they got it. Uh, the British Parliament is having a debate about the Stamp Act, and Charles Townsend makes a disapproving statement of the American colonists. Irishman and member of Parliament Isaac Barr stood up, speaking in favor of the colonists, and the one reprimanding him uh, spouted back that he was, he was out of line for being um, on the side of these sons of liberty. And, uh, and they took that... And it became their identity, and, uh, and that was a good thing, right? Because freedom is a good thing, right? You with me? Freedom's a great thing, and in America we love it. And we continue to fight for freedom for ourselves and for others. And so we have a couple of monuments to celebrate these freedoms that we have. As Sons of Liberty, we have the Statue of Liberty, sitting in New York Harbor, and there she stands in all of her splendor since 1886 so that people will know that this is the land of the free, and they're welcome here. And then we also have the Statue of Freedom, which sits on top of the Capitol building. It's a 19-and-a-half-foot-tall bronze statue, and, um, and it says, Freedom Triumphant in War and Peace. And so at a couple of key points in our country, we have artistically uh, demonstrated we are about freedom. We are sons of liberty. The Christians 
who are in Galatia, this is a region in like modern-day Turkey, they were being forced to evaluate their own love of freedom too. And the reason that they were forced to evaluate that is because they had experienced the freedom that comes when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul had come and he had preached to them, he would preached the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that is how you are saved. And they believed. And these house churches started popping up all around the region. After Paul moves on so he can preach the gospel to other places and start more churches, other people named Judaizers came in. And the Judaizers were people who believed it's not by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's by faith in Jesus plus you've got to keep the Old Testament laws like circumcision and, and the ceremonies and that sort of thing. Those two things will save. And Paul is shocked that these people are so quickly giving up on the freedom that he's preached to them to exchange it for what he calls another gospel, which isn't really a gospel. In fact, I'm going to be in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Listen, he says, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. Those are some serious words. But they're no more serious than a parent might have for a young child who's playing on the playground, and they turn around, they're talking to their, their, um, their friend for a little while, they turn around and find their kids are wandering off with two strangers towards a dark car with tinted windows, right? What would a parent be doing at that point in time? Ah! Stop! Right? You can't wander away with these strangers. The kid might be justified in saying, well, I, I, they might try to justify it saying, well, they said that we could go out for ice cream. Honey, those guys are not taking you out for ice cream. Right? Paul is just as worked up over the freedom that the Galatians are supposedly wandering to because they're his children in the faith and they're giving up on the true gospel of grace. They've started to wander away into a slavery of this other gospel. And this whole letter, and we're going to be in chapter 5, this whole letter is kind of this, stop, don't do it, don't add anything to the gospel of grace that I preach to you kind of a message. He's trying to convince them freedom's only found in Christ alone. Only. There's no Jesus plus. It's just Jesus. And so let's pick up Paul's train of thought in Galatians 5, 1 through 4, where he highlights three pastoral concerns for anybody who would wander away from the freedom of grace. His first concern is that if you add anything to the gospel, anything, you'll lose every spiritual advantage of the gospel. And we'll find that in verses 1 through 4. So I'm just going to go ahead and read through this. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. So I mentioned who these Judaizers were. They believed that it was Jesus plus. It was kind of like a middle-of-the-road position, a compromise position. But it's an awkward compromise. This, um, they, they taught and were trying to convince the Galatians to add just a little surgery to grace. Just a little surgery. All you need is a little surgical snip and you're safe in God's arms. They were viewing grace and circumcision kind of like two layers of, um, of acceptance before God. Kind of like if you're out on a boat, one life jacket will do you, but here's another. Put this one over top just in case. Okay? But notice where their real confidence lies. They're trying to convince the Galatians Jesus isn't enough. So where's their real confidence? What's the key life jacket for them? Got to keep the whole law. You got to enter into that through this rite of circumcision, this little surgery, and then you're good. If you accept surgery, what happens? You lose Jesus. You have no more Savior. If you accept surgery, you lose Jesus. You've got no Savior. Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, offers the free gift of salvation because it is by grace you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, a free gift, not one that you have to pay for. Not of works so that no one may boast pretty clear there's no advantage to adding anything any kind of performance spiritual performance to jesus you just lose jesus when you try to add to what he's already done because we're either saying your gift isn't good enough or i'm too proud and i think i'm going to find my own way we only deceive ourselves when we think our salvation is more secure by the stuff we do to perform to make God impressed. If we accept any good work like circumcision, any spiritual thing, it's kind of like trusting an amputated arm to lift the crushing weight of sin off of us. It's a fall from grace, not a rise to grace. Because grace and works are like wet and dry, and you can't have both at the same time. It's... It's like hot and cold. It's like two repelling poles, um, two magnetic poles that repel each other. If you accept surgery, you lose Jesus. You have no more Savior. You also, Paul makes the point here, you add the whole law. You've got no grace at all if you try to work for it. Look there again in verse 3. I testify to you, to every man who accepts circumcision... He's obligated to keep the whole law. And James makes that point as well. If you were to flip over there to James chapter 2, verse 10, you would see him say, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, well, he's guilty of breaking all of it. I can think of a few things more crushing, more discouraging, and less empowering than being told, you just got to do the impossible. 
because that's really what it's like when you look at all the laws and you say, I just got to keep them all. It's like the biggest extra baggage fee known to man. You guys traveled before and you got to pay the extra baggage? <laughs> this is the biggest extra baggage fee in the history of mankind. You just got to keep the whole law. That's all. And then you can be saved. And you got to do it perfectly. Don't slip up once. It's in the fine print there. But that's what happens when you try to add anything to the gospel of grace. You see, what, what I want us to get is that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of our lives and He's not going to be asking how, if we were good, better, or best. And he's not going to be stacking us up against Adolf Hitler or Billy Graham and saying, eh, pretty good, somewhere in the middle. He doesn't judge on a curve, degrade on a curve. It's, were you perfect? Were you holy? Because I'm holy, and nobody who's not, anybody who's not holy does not come in where I am, where it compromises everything that's good. We've got to keep the whole law, or we've got to lean on grace. Now, before we judge God as saying, that's too harsh, nobody could possibly do that, don't forget that he's offered us a Savior. And his Savior is Jesus Christ, who was perfect, who did keep the whole law, and though he deserved to live, he died. And there on the cross, as he hung there, naked and bleeding, he prays for our forgiveness. He offers his life, he gives, he gives his life for us that we might be saved. So let's not judge God as too harsh or too uncaring when he has given everything so that we could live. And that is the joy and the hope that Paul refers to. And flip back with me, if you would. Romans chapter 6. Or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. In verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, he talks about this exchange that happens when we come to Jesus in faith, when we put our trust in him. What happens? He gives us his righteousness and he takes away our sin because he's put that on himself and that's why he suffered on the cross. Look at, look at how he says there, Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, that is some powerful stuff. When you start thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for you, we become sons of liberty when we believe. We become slaves of duty when we try to add anything to Jesus. So take the plus off of your Jesus and just put your trust in Jesus and you will be free. You're free. There was a, uh, a Christian in my church in Pennsylvania. He was an older guy named Wyman Ritchie. And I loved Wyman. He was a smart guy. He was a spiritual man. Every year for over 45 years he read through the Bible at least once at that point in time in his life. And that was his practice. Just read through the Bible one time every year. 
And, uh, and after doing that so long, I think you kind of figure out, I've I got to freshen this up a little bit. So as he's reading through the Old Testament one time, he said, I decided to keep track of how many times I should have been put to death if I would have had to follow the law. Well, that was a good exercise. So he started counting. He got over 40. I forget the number. number of times he should have been put to death was way over 40. Made him thankful and made me thankful for the gospel of grace because I deserve to die. And all sinners deserve to die. But through Jesus Christ, we can have life and we can have freedom. Grace frees nothing else. And I want us to be reminded of that as Paul reminded the Galatians about that. But he continues to express his desire for their freedom and his concern for them as we jump down to verse 7. Um, this is the second consequence of buying the logic of the Judaizers. Look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? His point here, as he talks about this running analogy and keeping them from obeying the truth, he says, If you add to the gospel, you'll be hindered in the spiritual race. His point is, if you just add anything to the gospel, not only will you not be saved, you've got to keep the whole law and you lose Jesus, but you're hindered in your following Jesus. So they had begun running the race of faith well, like Hebrews 12.1 talks about. They were looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. But these Judaizers come in and trip them up. They enter this church and they say, well, you just... You 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 got to add this, and that trips them up. Okay, this morning uh, the kids were wandering around the outside, and uh, and my son was doing the trust walk with somebody, and just as a joke, I stuck my foot out. All right, and I didn't trip him; I just kicked him in the shin. All right, and uh, but this is exactly the intention. This is what happens intentionally when people add the law. You're hindered. You're tripped up in running the race. I like the word hindered here because as I was looking into this, it's, it's pretty full of meaning. Uh, it, it, means, it's, it means cut in on. So when, when you don't trust the gospel, you're tripped up, you're cut in on, and you are not free to obey the truth. It's now oblig- obligatory. Cut in on brings to mind rush hour traffic. Anybody been driving in like Chicago traffic? All right? Woohoo, that's exciting. All right? You'd be cruising along and all of a sudden some goofball will pull right in front of you and hit their brakes because they don't want to hit the person in front of you. So what do you have to do? Well, hit the brakes. Because if you rear in them, then it's your fault. Even though they were the one who was the goofball. This may seem obvious, but if you hit the brakes, are you making spiritual progress like you or are you making progress like you used to? No, you're not. You were hitting the gas. Now you're hitting the brakes. And your progress is slowed. Now the Greek word hindered also highlights an interesting military practice where a retreating army would cut into the road and make these huge gouges to make it impossible for another army to pass without having to repair the road. It has the same effect as a retreating army today who blows up a bridge after they cross it. So you can't follow. This is the word Paul uses to say, if you add anything to Jesus, you're hindered. You're cut off. In the same way, the Galatians were hindered by these Judaizers who changed the gospel message. 
don't be hindered in obeying the truth. And Paul, is he doesn't really press for an answer, but he's like, who's doing this? Who is that person? And as you read through down later on here, he has some pretty harsh words for them. Like, man, I just wish they would go all the way, because this is ridiculous. He's pretty worked up about this. We have to be reminded that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So don't be slowed in your obedience to God by thinking about all of the ways that you've messed up spiritually and then thinking, okay, now what do I have to do to fix it? Because you can't make spiritual progress when you're trying to figure out what you did wrong and how you have to fix it. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you have confessed your sins to Him, now you're liberated because you're secure in His love. He loved you even when you were unlovable, unlovely. And that is such a beautiful thing. He perfects our faith by showing us that there's, there's no good external motivation of doing better. That actually hinders spiritual progress because it produces fear. And 1 John chapter 4 18 reminds us there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment if i'm always looking and psychoanalyzing my life and saying i got to fix this i got to fix that and you forget the gospel you're not actually going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the savior you're just going to feel more and more condemned like like i deserve to be punishment to be punished and the punishment i deserve god should just hit me over the head with two by four I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that and just grates me every time because that's not God's character. That's us falling back into and being hindered by the law, by this idea that we have to earn our acceptance before God. And it's unconditional and it's free. There's an internal motivation that God gives us when He liberates us because He's made us secure in His love. And so... When you truly understand the gospel, you remember there's nothing I can do that would make God love me less. And on the other side of the equation, there's nothing I could do to make God love me more. I'm not his A-plus child. I'm a child of the king, and that by his grace, and so I am free and I'm secure in his love. Flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Pastor Steve quotes this passage often, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But this reminds us that if we've been shown this love, then we have the ability to pass on to others what we have shown. See, we're liberated not from the outside in with this rule, this, this constricting straitjacket of the law. We're liberated by this internal compulsion of the love of God. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he goes on and talks about how we can not just love him, but we can love other people. And it is a beautiful, freeing thing to be found in the love of God. How can I avoid being slowed or stopped in my spiritual progress when I know that there's still sin that I'm struggling to defeat? Remember the gospel. 
Go back to what God has already done. Remember, He poured out all of the punishment of the world on sinners, on His Son that belonged to sinners. He poured it out on His Son, Jesus Christ. He already took our place. The payment has already been made. And we don't have to punish ourselves by thinking we are such stupid people. How come I can't get this? Don't let other people cut you off in spiritual traffic either by pointing out the weaknesses and the flaws of your life and saying, God can't love you as much unless you fill in the blank. It's through faith you have become a son son of liberty and you need to believe that truth. Our whole world and every other religious system operates on that old principle and it's a slavery principle. But Jesus Christ offers you freedom and I want you to bask in and enjoy that freedom. Go back to the Gospel. I wish we could go on, wish we had time to go on and talk about the last half of the chapter. That's for a different message, all right, just to relieve you. Uh, But he talks about how he also gives us the power of the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God is at work in us, he starts to produce this evidence or this fruit in our lives. It's him doing it in us, not us having to have this outside, oh, I screwed up, I've got to fix this again. God motivates us from the inside out. And so today and this week, I want to encourage you, don't get cut off by another anti-gospel. It's not good news. Embrace what Jesus Christ has done because His mercy is new for you every morning, right? Every morning. Whether you feel like it or not, it's new to you every morning. Great is His faithfulness. So run well. Keep running well each day as you remember the gospel. And don't be hindered from obeying the truth. Now that's going to lead us to the very last section that Paul's going to talk about. His last concern And it's this, if you have the gospel, be careful not to abuse the freedom of the gospel. Don't abuse the freedoms that come to us in the gospel. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul begins this section reminding them of uh, what they were called to. What were they called to? You can say it out loud. What were they called to? Freedom. All right? So he's called them to be sons of liberty, but he warns them, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, I have here a microphone, all right? Just going with an impromptu illustration here. I've got a microphone. What is this microphone used for? Yeah, I've got to talk into it. It amplifies my voice. Woohoo! all right? This is what it's for. What is this microphone not used for? Hitting people on the head, right? It would make a great one, except for that's not what it's for. What else could this be used for? Maybe I could try one-arm pull-ups if I could get this anchored on either side. Probably not the best use of the microphone. What else could I use this for? Abuse of this microphone. A football, yes. Or a baton for track, right? You know, 
All right, and the American track team, we fumble the baton, all right? And there it falls in a million pieces. If you've got a tool, it's got a right use for something, and it's got like a dozen abuses for something. The same thing is true for the gospel and the freedom that comes with the gospel. It has a right expression. It has several dozen or thousand wrong expressions. And Paul lumps all these abuses of the gospel freedom under this one heading, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's the heading. So we are going to abuse our spiritual freedom every time we act in the flesh, every time we act selfishly as if this were all about me. When we look out for our wants and interests, we use my freedom so I can get what I want at the expense of what others want or need. When we focus on getting instead of giving. God gave us this freedom so we would lovingly serve, and that's, that's the right use of our freedom. Now our natural bent, the way we're born thinking, is that we are the center of the world. Watch out for that temptation in your own life. Because it's tempting to use your freedom to please yourself. I want us to support this missionary because I like what they're doing. I think we need to prioritize fixing up this part of the building and this is the way it needs to look. I think we need to change the budget to reflect these personal priorities that I have. Or... I don't want to be part of a church. I just want to attend church. See, those are all, and there's like a bazillion others, selfish expressions of my freedom. And it's going to lead to a very unhealthy church. It's why we don't leave kids unsupervised in the nursery, the preschool, or in children's church, right? Because... You can dress them up on the outside and you can put the cutest little bows in their hair and give them a bow tie and a nice hat and suspenders and get the cute little dress on and turn them loose in the nursery and go, ah, they're good kids, they'll take care of themselves. That's how it works, right? And they all come out loving one another, peacefully patting each other on the back, giving hugs. That's not what happens, I'm telling you. i got little ones. Right? They're born sinners, and if you don't keep that sin in check, then what happens is what described in verse 15. They bite and devour one another and will consume one another. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. It's what Pastor Thabiti Anyabwile calls spiritual cannibalism. A selfish spirit that leads to all kinds of infighting in the church. Do not abuse your freedom by seeking opportunities for the flesh. The right use of, use of Christian freedom is to lovingly serve one another. Just like Jesus has served us. Look at verse 13, kind of in the middle there. Through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the right expression. It's pretty clear, right? Love is going to express itself in serving. That's how it works. A healthy, 
God-honoring, church-strengthening orientation of every son of liberty is outward, not inward. It's you before me. It's not getting for myself. It's giving of myself. Giving of myself as a living sacrifice to God first, and then giving of myself as a willing sacrifice to the other people that God's put me with in His body. And there are a variety of good expressions of that. But 1 John 4.11 teaches us, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I hope you catch the uh, unexpected turn in that. Because the way we typically think is, Beloved, God so loved us, so we also ought to love Him back. But he talks about a paying it forward kind of a mentality. Beloved, God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. That's how freedom expresses itself. It turns outward and looks for the best interests of everybody else around us. And so I want to urge you, if you've been made free in Christ, then express it outward. Love other people. Pay it forward. Are there willing acts of service that you're engaging in right now? How are you gracing the people around you? Are you serving? Are you expressing love to somebody who's hurting? Are you ministering to people in the body of Christ? I want to urge a number of you who are hung up and you're just not wanting to participate fully. Talk to a spiritual friend, a spiritually minded friend, or a pastor, and figure out why you're hung up and have them help you get over that hurdle so that you can not abuse your freedom any longer. Others of you may just need to join a starting point class, which will start early on in 2019 so that you can join the body and you can contribute in some more formal ways. There are informal ways to do it, and you don't have to be a church member to do that. Do those. But don't hesitate to become a formal church member and to participate. And I want to encourage others to just take a good, long, hard look at your priorities. Take your schedule, back it up and say, what's most important to me? Is it all the stuff that you want to prioritize? Or are you spending time giving to your church family? Because there's needs there, and when people don't all contribute, it creates a burden that becomes really heavy. On the back two tables out there and on the big long table uh, out in the hospitality area connection point, I made a list because I'm getting more and more, we could sure use help in this kind of an area of our church, some formal ministries. And this is an ever-evolving list. But in order to properly use our freedom, we have to express it in loving service, and there's, there's need. There's need for subs, and there's need in all kinds of different areas. And if you're just curious, uh, a no-pressure way to find out what are some easy opportunities for me to step in, they're all very clearly listed there. And I might have missed some, so if I have, forgive me. But um, we just need to know what the needs are and then be able to say, God made me to serve. He freed me to serve. I'm going to. 
I'm going to do something. As we wrap up, I want to take us back to 1839. The story is, um, how many of you have seen the movie Amistad? It's an older one, but great uh, storyline. It's a true story. Um, there were some Mende African, an African tribe named the Mende, and uh, they were captured and they were taken to Cuba and sold as slaves. And in Cuba, a number of them were purchased uh, by a um, by a Spanish-owned ship, and they started to transport these slaves back to the place where they would serve as slaves. And on one of their stops, a few days into their travel, a couple of the slaves broke free, armed themselves, and they took over the ship. The ship's name was Amistad. As they um, killed the captain and the cook, then they uh, then they told the remaining mariners, you better take us back to Africa. So during the day, they sailed back to Africa. During the night, when the Africans couldn't tell which direction they were going, the sailors steered the ship north. And they didn't make it very far. In fact, they were captured off of the coast of Long Island, New York. And so when the ship was captured, the courts then had to decide whether the Mende were slaves or whether they were legally free. In the story, one of, as it's retold in this particular movie, you can see on the top right of the screen there, there's an African slave. His wrists are bound, and um, he starts to sense that there is not a, uh, a welcoming spirit. They don't understand what's at stake because the prosecutor is waxing eloquent on his views on why these people should be sold as slaves or taken, they were rightfully slaves and needed to be taken back to Spain. And he, in his broken English, he stands up and he interrupts the argument with, gives us, us free. And he's holding out his hands gives us free. And he's politely at first told, sit down and be quiet and quit interrupting the court. But what happens if he sits down and is quiet and doesn't interrupt the court? His freedom's in jeopardy. And so more loudly he speaks up, give us free, give us free. And this goes on and on and on in the movie. And it's powerful. It's moving as you start to think of what's at stake. Give us freedom. Give us free. That is the cry of every true Christian. Give us free. We get to breathe in the fresh air of the liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't let people silence the gospel of grace in you or its effects in your life. Don't go back to this performance-based, I've got to do this in order for God to be proud of me, in order for the church to accept me. Stop adding to Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. That's not how we're saved. Give us free. 
And don't be hindered or tripped up or cut off in your spiritual progress and your obedience to Jesus Christ by psychoanalyzing your life. Renew your heart and mind in the truth. Because it's a lie that says you've got to do this to be accepted by God or by other people. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ strengthen you to run the race in grace and in freedom. Give us free. And don't abuse your faith, your freedom in Christ, biting and devouring one another through selfish opportunities for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And I would extend this beyond what the passage points out. It's love, our world, that is in slavery because they need freedom too. we got people who don't know Jesus Christ. And we've got the message of freedom, the key that will unlock their chains. Give them freedom. We were called to freedom. Don't take a step back into slavery. Press on in grace and live up to your new identity in Jesus Christ. You are sons and daughters of liberty. Let's live that way. And as our men come, we're going to take an offering in a little bit. But I want to close us in prayer. That God would help us to be people of freedom. Father in heaven, I rejoice in the freedom that I have in Jesus Christ. And you've not just offered it to me. You offer it freely to the world. Your grace, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, can wipe away every burden of every sin and make us clean. And I thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin and for the sins of the whole world. And as a church, I pray that we would be a free church, not adding all kinds of regulations, but expressing our freedom rightly, using it well to love and to serve others and to give towards others out of the overflow of our heart's desire and our thankfulness for what you've done for us. God, change our motivation and change our Change our actions to more accurately reflect who you are and what you are like. Help us to be free day in and day out. Thank you for your mercy that's new to us every day. And we love you, God. And it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.